We're working our way through John, and we're, we've been in John chapter 17, and John 17 is one of the favorite uh, parts of the book for me because we get to study the prayer of Jesus. It's rightly called the Lord's Prayer, and in the beginning of the prayer, he has some requests for himself, and then he begins to pray for the disciples, and that's where we are right now. And the last time that I had the opportunity to minister the Word in the morning service, we talked about... Jesus' prayer for the disciples and the first request that he had was that the Father would keep them safe. It was a a request for protection and preservation for the disciples. And he said uh, very clearly that one of the things that he was doing in the prayer as he was talking to the Father in front of the disciples, he says, "I'm, I'm speaking these things in the world right now so that, at the end of verse 13, they may have my joy made full in themselves. One of the purposes of all of the things that Jesus declared to the disciples was that they might have his joy. Uh, This morning we're going to look at the second request that he makes on behalf of the disciples, and it has to do with the issue of truth and what God wants to do with that truth. So before we get to that, let's pray together and ask the Lord to give us understanding of the scriptures this morning. God, it is a beautiful day. And thank you for those that are here and for health and strength to be here. Bless our time as we look into the word and we might consider this a meal from you. Help us to eat well and understand and take it in so that we would be strengthened, so that we would be obedient, so that you'd use us as as difference makers in the world that we face. Uh, You are good to us all the time. We give thanks for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to uh, have you look at that with me. This is one of the definitions I would like to use of a gift that keeps on giving. How many of you would be caught dead wearing that? Nobody wants to vote right now. That has a built-in beard. You know, some of the hunters might like that, okay. But I think that's an epic fail as a gift, all right. I'm all about gifts this week, by the way. How many of you looked at your church calendar at all? I'm all about gifts this week. Actually, it was last week, but I'll take them this week too, okay? Yeah, the Lord uh, delighted to give me 50 full years of life, and uh, somebody chose to to share the love this week. I won't let you know who did that right away, but just take a glance at that screen in the back. There's uh, sorted puzzles with a sticker that says you might need your glasses for these, okay? That is a two-quart bottle of prune juice. That's just a gift that keeps on giving right there, okay? (laughs) Yes. Um, There's a tube of anti-wrinkle cream, otherwise known as anti-wrinkle cream. Um, There's... um, Well, you can read it, okay, I don't need to explain it. And there's some sweet stuff just to help you make feel better about all the things that are going to go wrong after you turn 50. There's the arthritis cream and the hair coloring, which I thought was a nice touch. Everybody tells me that the sideburns of gray give men a distinguished look, but I know some of you guys aren't distinguished at all because you're using that stuff. But, um, um, you know, there's a package of marbles there, and that sticker says, for when you lose yours. (laughs) I thought that was good. 
okay? And a package of paper clips that say to help you hold it all together. Yeah, fix a dent. I go to Carolyn. My teeth are in pretty good shape right now, but there may come a day when I'll need that. And then the, the weekly pill reminder. And right there, you got to love that. Those are gifts that just keep right on giving. Huh? It was a good week. It was a good week to laugh. And I use that because one of the things that in studying this week came across loud and clear to me is something that the Lord Jesus says in this prayer as he's praying to the Father and the disciples are listening. He says, Father, I gave them your word. And I just want you to know that that is a gift that keeps on giving. He said, I gave them your word. And one of the things I was curious about as I began to study that out was, I wonder what other things that Jesus says that he gave to his disciples. And I began to do a real quick search through the New Testament. And I came across some of these things you may remember in Matthew 10 and in Luke chapter 10 as well. He told his disciples, he sent them out two by two, and he says, I give you authority, or I have given you authority over unclean spirits. And he gave them the ability to go out on a preaching tour and to cast out demons and to heal sick people, and they were to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He gave them the authority to do that. It kind of reminded me of the fact that after he was going to go back to heaven, he said, gather in Jerusalem And when you do, I will send the Spirit and He will give you power to be my witnesses. So it was kind of a preview of coming attractions when He gave them authority to go out and do that kind of ministry. In in the Gospel of John, there are some other gifts that the Lord Jesus Christ gave the disciples. He said in John 10, 28, as the shepherd to the sheep, He says, I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. That's a great gift. He said in John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment, uh, an an enhanced commandment, not new of a different kind, but an enhanced one, a a more explained one. I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He said in John 14, 27, my peace I give to you through the Holy Spirit. And if we had time, we could look at a, a number of other things that he gives to the church through the New Testament. But here in John chapter 17, uh, verse 14, he says, I have given them your word. One of the things I want you to know is I'm so glad that he's given us his word and I want to give you four reasons. And here's the first reason. He gave us the word so that we could know God and be different from the world like Jesus Christ was different from the world. Look at the text with me, verse 14. I have given them your word And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So we have the gift. We have the content of that gift. He has given the word. And then he makes this startling observation. The world hates them. This is the response to the disciples. And why is that? Because when people take the word into their life, it changes them from the inside out. It makes them different. And it has an impact on the world around them. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But Jesus says this astounding statement. When a person takes the word into their life, it makes them different. And the world becomes hostile to them because they're no longer the same person they used to be. 
reminds us of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We need to talk about this concept of Jesus giving the word for a minute. Because the word, word in the Gospel of John, uh, is a full term. It's used of Jesus himself in chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word was full of grace and truth. So in John 1, the argument of the book is that the Word, the Logos, was a person. But here, the person of Jesus Christ The living word has given the spoken word. You and I have been blessed to know that the living word gave the spoken word and it was written down. So now we study the written word of God. And it is through the living written word of God that we know the living son of God. You understand? The only way that you can know the living son of God is through the proclamation and belief in the living written word of God. Let me say that one more time. There is no salvation apart from the gospel truth. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the way that a person meets the word, the living word, the son of God, is through the proclamation of the living written word of God, the spoken word of God. This is very important. Jesus is the one who introduces us to the Father. And so he has given us, first, the embodiment of truth, and then as the embodiment of truth, he has spoken the truth that the Father gave to him to these disciples. And he has spoken the truth that people need to know and believe in order to know God eternally. This goes back to verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is the truth, and now his truth is recorded in Scripture, God's Word, the Bible. And so, as we understand what Jesus is teaching here, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, and they begin to be changed on the inside out, they, they take the Word of God into them, and it makes them different. God produces changes the spirit brings about changes and growth transformation we become more like jesus and what happens the more we become like jesus the more antagonism and more hatred we experience because when jesus was here he was not a conformist and the world hated him and the more you spend time with jesus the more you're going to become like him and the result will be that the world will hate you Taking the word into our lives will produce obedience. And when we obey God, we're obviously going to live life differently. We're going to see life differently. We're going to think about life differently than the world will, the world in which we live. It marks us out as being different. John carried the same kind of thinking over and became very, very direct in his first epistle in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. To love the world is to be at at odds with God. It is to be at enmity with God, James 4 says. I just want you to understand, Jesus is talking about this with his disciples And he says that as the world changes them, as the word changes them, the world will become hostile to them. The world will hate it when we don't run with them, when we don't agree with them in thinking. It shouldn't surprise us. But I want you to understand why that's so important. It is often the uniqueness of our testimony and the holiness of our testimony that will open up doors to share the hope of Jesus Christ later. It might be under crunch time it might be in a time of great conflict or turmoil and often it is in a time of great sadness the world lives life and they think that they have it all under control they live with a great deal of confidence and a great deal of bravado they don't need god they don't need the trappings of god and and we could go on and on and on about that but i'll tell you what if somebody's marriage comes apart or if somebody has a child that dies or a a father that they really love and he dies early in life because of a disease or something like that. Do you know who they're going to seek out? They're going to seek out you if you live a holy and compassionate life because you're different. You have confidence and you have hope and the love of Jesus is in Christ. The love of Jesus Christ is inside of you and you have a hope that does not disappoint. And when their life has come crashing down, they're going to seek you out. Do you know why? Because you're different. At least you should be are you does the truth of god impact your life in such a way that you think differently and you see things differently than the world around you would your friends at school know enough to seek you out if they were in a crisis because your life is directed by the word of god god has changed you because you've believed on jesus christ as your savior Here's the second reason why I think we ought to give thanks to God for His Word this morning. He gave us the Word so that we would have vital spiritual protection from our enemy. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one or from evil. Listen, this morning there's a a reality that I think is, is not emphasized in church enough. Perhaps I've failed at that. If we're going to lay blame at the proclamation of this, Uh, or failure to to acknowledge it, I have to take it. But every day when I get up, I have to remind myself that God is on the throne and I have to arrange myself and my life accordingly. But there is a reality. And that is that as we live life, we, we have to be aware that we have an enemy that seeks to destroy us and ruin us every single moment of every single day. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our problems are not with other people. They are with spiritual forces that cannot be seen, but the Father says they are there. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness. That's what Paul says. Jesus, at the beginning of the prayer, says he's going to go back to the Father and he wants to be glorified. He is going to leave his disciples here. I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm not taking them out of this place and I'm not taking them out of the sphere of influence in which they live. But Father, I am praying that because I have given you 
given your word to them, they will be protected from the enemy and the way he thinks and the way he acts. Jesus is not calling us to escape. He's calling us to endure. He's not calling us to surrender. He's calling us to triumph. The word here, to keep, is to be protected from the wiles and the deception and the blinding of the enemy. I want you to think about your source of information. I want you to think about the source of information that you allow your children to have all week long. I want you to think about the TV. I want you to think about other forms of media. I want you to think about their educational process. And as a parent this morning, I want you to ask, how involved have I ever been in evaluating whether the worldview that is being articulated by my children's curriculum is anti-God or not? And what am I doing to combat that? I want you to look at what you watch on TV, adults. I want you to consider the news sources, all of them, because I know the vast majority of you love Fox News. But I want you to ask yourself the question, are they running their newscast on the authority and the worldview of God's Word? They're all about making money, just like everybody else. And when was the last time that you evaluated what you listened to and what you viewed and what you took in and said, how does this square with scripture because i can tell you one thing i believe that the vast majority of people do not live with an awareness that there is an enemy that's out to destroy their soul and we think it's all just a, this this witchcraft we have we have spiritual warfare mind that, that's thinking about dark continent stuff or southeast asia stuff you know, where something might levitate and spin over your head and that will convince you that there are demons. But listen, one of the primary ways in which Satan wars against the church is through deception. And do you know the easiest lie to believe is the one that has the largest amount of truth in it? Do you know that? The easiest lie to believe is the one that has the most amount of truth in it. Jesus here it's helping us to understand something. He's leaving those men behind because there's going to be a mission to do. And he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I am asking you to keep them from the evil. The word one is supplied. So it could refer to the fact of the evil forces or the evil world system as well as the evil person, Lucifer himself. What I'm trying to get you to think about this morning is this. How much role how much of a role does the word of god play in your daily life and your weekly life where you are evaluating what you're thinking about and what you're believing so that you're being protected from the evil one that's why he gave the word so that they would be protected from the evil one so join me understand this a little bit further in ephesians chapter 6 and look at these verses with me because i think as you read about the armor of god one of the things that's worth noting is how many of the verses take us back to the concept of biblical truth. Even beginning in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God 
that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. The word wiles here is a good translation is schemes, uh, the plan, the plan of deception. He's not winging it. He has a plan. He uses different schematics of deception. Verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having, your, having girded your loins with truth. So there's one reference to the word of God. You, you put on the belt of truth. You put on the breastplate of righteousness and you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's another reference to truth. The truth of the gospel. Wherever you go, you take the gospel with you. You take the shield of faith. You take the helmet of salvation. And you take, in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. When we think of the sword, we often comes to mind is the picture of the big two-handled Roman broadsword that would be sharpened on both sides and that you would get into combat and just uh, swing that back and forth like a sigh. But that's not the word for sword in this verse. The word for sword here is a much smaller, single-handled, personal protection sword of two feet in length approximately that you would be used to thrust quickly between a shield wall or to parry somebody else's thrust and to be able to react quickly. And the idea here of the Roman soldier being applied to the believer of Jesus Christ is when the enemy comes at you with this scheme, that you parry it, that you absorb it with your shield of faith because you trust in Jesus as your Savior, and you counterstroke quickly with the spoken word of God, the rhema. The idea being that you have taken the word into your being, and that when you hear error, when you identify a scheme, when you identify a satanic attack, you don't take it. You counter, you counter stroke. You say, that's not true because God says. That's what Jesus does to Satan at the temptation. Satan knows he's hungry. He's very hungry, 40 days without food. He says, you know, if you're hungry and you're God, why don't you command these stones to be bred? This is a legitimate need. I don't know about you, but I have not gone 40 days without food. Some of you get a little cranky when lunch is late. Shame on you, you know. You skipped breakfast and now you're like, man, why did I do that? Jesus has gone 40 days. Legitimate need here. Just make some bread. You'd be all right. Jesus says with the counterstroke. Because there's all kinds of wrong thinking wrapped up in that deception in that temptation. I don't have time to get into it, but I just want you to see what Jesus does. He absorbs that temptation and he counterstrokes right away. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He gave us the word so that we would have vital spiritual protection from the enemy. The word of God gives us the food and the energy with which to withstand the attacks of the one who hates us. I want you to see a third reason why we ought to be excited that he gave us the word. He gave us the word so that we might be more like Christ, set apart from sin unto holiness. 
If you look at verse 13 with me, back in John 17, I want you to see something. One of the first distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus Christ is joy. We could go even further if we wanted to go back to John 13. We could say that when Jesus says, by, all, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another, we could say, all right, one of the first distinguishing marks of a true follower of Jesus Christ is how well they love other believers. Then we could say that the second distinguishing mark in this gospel is overflowing joy. The third distinguishing mark is a life that is marked by truth. That's verses 14 to 16. But I want you to notice verse 17. The fourth key mark of a disciple's life is marked by holiness. Because here's the reason why Jesus gives the gift that keeps on giving. He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. In other words, to make us set apart. That's literally the root meaning. To be set apart. Removed from something and dedicated to something else. Set apart from sin and dedicated to God. The Lord Jesus says, I have given them the word. Sanctify them in truth. The Lord wants us to be moving closer to God in the truth. In other words, there's no way to get closer to God. There's no way to grow in godliness apart from the Word of God. We would say today, there's no way to become more like Jesus Christ apart from the study of the Word of God. You can't do it. I'm going to say something that's going to be kind of controversial to some of you. I'm going to say it in love. The church was far stronger before Christian radio. Christian radio is a great tool. But by and large, more people are listening to what other people think about the Word of God than they are studying it for themselves. We listen to people sing error all day long and don't recognize it. We listen and and try to be blessed, and sometimes we are, by the work of other preachers. But the church was far stronger a couple of hundred years ago when it didn't have all the immediate access to the truth because they had to study more. Sanctify them in truth. You'll never grow closer to God and you'll never become more like His Son apart from the study of the Word of God. That's why the proclamation of truth at a life applicational level that is rooted in a consistent study through the Scriptures is so vitally important. Because it's how you understand what the message of God is, and how you learn what to do with that message. And there's something here that Jesus says that is so provocative for us in the day and age in which we live. He says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Now, we don't have a problem with that. There's one little word in there that I want us to focus on because it really will direct the life of the church. It is the word is. That is in the present tense. You know, what that helps us to remember is that the Word of God will never go out of fashion. You see what that is? 
That is what's called ugly, okay? And some of you wore them. Now, thankfully, I never got caught up in that craze. I know it's hard to believe right now. You think, you couldn't wear your hair like that. Well, trust me, I had hair, all right? I had more. That is called a mullet. And it's really interesting when you still see people wearing them today. It really is. It's like, man, I hope that does not come back. Okay, I hope it doesn't come back in style. Some people hope that the 80s never come back in style. Um, Big hair, wild colors. Isn't that great? Emily came home this weekend. I had to use that picture. We had an 80s reunion last week uh, over at college. It was part of homecoming and and the decade of the 80s were invited back to speak. And some of the students thought they would get together and they would dress up to kind of encourage all the people from the 80s. And so uh, my daughter rocked it. She really did. She looks good. All right. I just am so glad that that style's not back right now. Okay. And, and you remember, how many of you still have skinny ties? Guys, how many of you still have skinny ties in your closet? You're hoping they come back. Just take them down to the Goodwill. You can always buy more. Okay. Some, how many of you still have the fat ties from the 70s? How many of you got them on this morning? Okay. All right. Anybody here still have a polyester leisure suit in your closet? Huh? Maybe those big full pleated skirts will come back, girls. I don't know. All right. Sometimes we say, I hope it comes back. And sometimes we say, I hope it's like the DeSoto. <laughs> we never want to see that car again. Okay. You know, God's word is always going to be in the present tense. It will never go out of style. It will never go out of vogue. It will never go out of fashion. But we need to understand that the world does not think that way. For instance, there was a change in how people did Bible study back in the 50s and 60s. It led to churches beginning to change how they would interpret certain parts of the Bible that led to having women pastors. Churches like ours got rightly uptight about that because we said, how can you change the plain writing and the plain meaning of the text? It says, if any man desires to be a bishop, if any man desires to be an elder, if any man wants to be a pastor, he desires a good thing. How can you make a man say a woman? But now we live in a country and we have cities all over the country that want to say, if a man feels like a woman, he can use a women's bathroom. There's no difference in thinking between what happened in 1960 and what's happening in 2014. Because once you explain away the authority of God's word, you can continue to explain away the authority of God's word. So now, when you have denominations that will ordain women in violation of God's clear teaching, now those same denominations will ordain practicing homosexuals and say that it's okay. And you'll have cities like Houston that will do everything that they can to intimidate or try to stop people from stating what Scripture says clearly. And listen, I know sometimes personalities come out when you're talking publicly, and I understand that. I really try to work hard on it. But there's going to come a time, no matter how I do it, the way I do it, whether I stand completely still, whether I act like a real pushover, whether I get sissified, if I say something is wrong, it's going to make somebody mad. 
So I'm just going to trust God to use my personality, try to be under the Spirit. But I want you to know something. God's Word is always relevant. It's always in the present tense. But the problem will be that the world will not accept that. And you and I must understand that. And I have a feeling, and this is going to really rock some people, I have a feeling that the church of Jesus Christ, when it comes to attendance, is gradually going to shrink, not grow. Because as the pressure from society increases, those people who are not absolutely committed to Jesus Christ and His Word will stop coming. I want you to understand something. To be sanctified is to be set apart from sin and set apart unto Christ. And Jesus says, the reason why I have given the truth, the word, to your men, to these men, is so that they might be sanctified, that they would be set apart and they would be wholly devoted and fully dedicated to the cause. Well, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand Jesus Christ didn't just want 11 men to be fully devoted to the cause. You and I are called saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Saints by calling. We are commanded to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. We are a part of this grand army that is to be uniquely devoted, zealous for good works, that takes the message of hope, the message of grace, the truth of Jesus Christ and His salvation to a lost and dead world. That's why he prays, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. It is always in style. How does this impact the church? How does the word of God impact the church this morning? Would you look a couple of other verses with me, please, as we draw this to a close. First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verses <clears throat> 1 to 5 help us to see that the word of God can help us to avoid two wrong extremes. The first wrong extreme is following false teaching called doctrines of demons at the end of verse 1. Then it helps us to avoid the other extreme of too much of a good thing. Verses 4 and 5. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. See, one of the benefits to the church, one of the benefits to individual believer in the study of the word of God is that the more you take God's word into your life, the more balanced you can become. You can avoid extremes so that any good thing that comes in life can be evaluated by the word of God. Any bad thing can be evaluated by the word of god too much of a good thing is a bad thing paul says but if it is sanctified by the word and by prayer it helps you to be balanced second timothy 3 16 and 17 says that truth impacts the church because it helps us to have confidence 
in the supernatural character of God's word because the word of God is inspired. Truth impacts the church by reminding pastors and teachers to always be ready to use the word. It says in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. The word preach here means to proclaim publicly or to proclaim confidently or loudly. It is, it is to herald. You can preach the word to one. You can preach the word to 50. But the church of Jesus Christ is to be so confident in the word to be able to speak into the affairs of life and to minister to people that we're always ready to use it. That it just flows out of us. To be so Christ-saturated, to be so grace-saturated, to be so word-saturated that no matter the situation that we encounter in life, we are ready to talk about it at a moment's notice, to be able to speak truth in love. I just want to be more like that. Some of you may struggle with confidence. Maybe you're struggling to overcome fear. Maybe you've got um, some life-dominating issues that are going on. Let me ask you this question. As you think about this fact that Jesus has given truth so that we might become more like him, here's a very important question this morning. Do you have a regular time where you are disciplining yourself to get into the word of God in order to grow? Do you have a regular time where you are disciplining yourself? Paul says that physical exercise profits but godliness profits a lot. And he says, therefore, discipline yourself unto godliness. Do you make a concerted effort to have a regular time where you are getting into the word of God in order to grow? Listen, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died to break the power of sin and to set the captive free. Maybe you're here this morning and and you look at your life and you say, you know what? There's something in my life that keeps reoccurring. It's It's like a life-dominating thing. I I am not having victory over worry. I'm struggling with gossip. I am struggling with wrong thinking in my morals. I'm struggling with pornography. I can't seem to break the grip of alcohol. Listen, brothers and sisters, when you get sick, you go and get treated somehow. And you might have your way of doing it, and somebody else might try another method, but normally, if you get sick, and it's progressing, and it's getting worse, you will go to the doctor, and they might prescribe this medication and this procedure, and they might suggest exercise to get strengthened, but you attack that problem. When you have a problem like that, you don't need a -a one-a-day vitamin, You need intensive doses of spiritual antibiotics. There are times in life when you can use the daily bread. You can get your one a day plus iron. But when God brings something to life and you realize that you are not being sanctified, you're not being set apart unto Christ, and there is a a life-dominating thing that's going on, you can't be doing the one a day plus iron approach. You've got to get into the Word and be taking in massive doses of truth to fight back that contagion called sin. That's how you have victory. Don't tell me that you can't have victory over worry because that's causing 
That's calling Jesus to be a liar. That's calling the Father a liar. Don't tell me that men can't have victory over pornography because Jesus died to set us free from lust. Don't tell me that we're doomed to a life of sleeplessness because of concern for our adult children. That causes God to be a liar. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. You got a life-dominating issue? It keeps kicking you in the mouth every day? I'll tell you what. Jesus did not lie. Jesus did not lie. He says, I set people free. I heal broken hearts. I give hope. I give joy. Fullness of joy. But I'll tell you what the deal is. You've got to start taking in the Word of God in massive doses. You've got to get to the great physician, and you've got to stop listening to everybody else. You need to get at the foot of Jesus because He gave us the manna from heaven, the truth of God that changes lives and sets people free. The church of Jesus Christ is anemic and weak. Our marriages are falling apart. Our kids are wandering. We don't look holy. What is the answer? What is it? It's the Word. It's getting back to the Word and doing the Word and believing the Word and obeying the Word to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, if the reason that you gave the truth is to make us holy and we're not going in that direction, then the problem is not with you. And we give you thanks and praise because you're faithful. And I pray that you would grow us in commitment and grow us in love. And I pray that you would break our hearts in areas where we're so accepting of sin in our own lives. You cause us to rethink this whole idea of having to live defeated because you haven't lied. You died to set us free. You died and you promised to make us like your son and you have promised to give victory. So God, break our hearts in areas where we make excuses and we want to look past things that would be so displeasing to you that lead to defeat. Raise us up in renewed commitment and trust in the word of God. I want to bless you, Lord, for the truth. I want to thank you that you've given us everything that we need today for life and godliness found in your son and his promises. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.